0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Keith here. And on this episode, I'm actually a guest on someone else's podcast. It's called Mind Shift, and it is based out of the UK. So I'm just going to be on here talking about my experience with church. We're going to be talking about nepotism and the church culture and tons of other things. So enjoy me as a guest on another episode of number 51. Pilgrims and Prodigal's Podcast.
1: Oh right, good, good. Yeah, there's always a question of delay, because our internet's not great here. It's a bit slow sometimes.
0: Oh, that's okay. Yeah. Yeah, I actually uh I actually work for AT and T. We put in uh fiber internet everywhere, so I get pretty good deals on that stuff.
1: <laughs> well where we live, it's taken two years to get fiber, and um, they're still not—they still haven't done it yet. They've run the cable last week, uh, but they haven't connected it. So they—they—I don't know where they are with it now. It's an absolute shambles. Uh, it's BT, British Telecom, and it's just a joke, man. It's a complete joke.
0: That's most uh, telecom companies, though, yeah, they take their time with things. <clears throat>
1: <laughs> well, what I heard, I mean in in Wales, there's something like 3 or 4 years behind what the government projected where they were supposed to be as far as running fiber optic throughout the whole country. They they haven't even finished it, not even close yet. So they're they're oh, light yeah. years behind. Yeah, so we're still running copper cables, phone lines. That's how I get my internet.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's uh well when when you think about it, I mean, you're pretty much Replacing every cable, yeah. you know that's in, that's in a stretch. You're pretty much laying down an entirely new network, so it takes time. But man, can't believe they're that far behind in Wales. It's crazy. Well,
1: the thing is, I mean, yeah, the North America's had fiber optic. I don't know. How, I don't even know how long it's been. What 30, 30 years? at least they've
0: been placing it since the 80s yeah
1: exactly so we're just now getting it in this country that's how far the infrastructure is behind on that thing i mean it's just crazy i can't i can't believe that they're that far behind it man it's nuts it's absolutely nuts so we've been waiting two years uh we're still waiting they say it's going to be done by the end of september
0: but we'll see yeah, I'd uh, I'd tack on an extra year to be <laughs> <Yeah>. safe. <laughs> on your judgment on that one,
1: they could say <laughs> September twenty nineteen. They didn't say which <laughs> which September.
0: Yeah, right. it's uh, gonna be some December in the future. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, yeah.
1: We don't know exactly. Well, very cool. So I got a question for you then. Um, where? What do you want to do? Because. I've got so many, I've been, for some reason, doing so many podcast recordings, I've got episodes booked out until probably November. It's that, there's that many. So, um, yeah, it's a good problem to have, Um, but that means...
0: Whatever you want to do, if you just want to, uh, I guess, just talk for a little bit, um, and just, I guess, just get to to know each other a little bit, and then whenever you want to record one, you can just get a hold of me, or... I don't know. If You wanted to knock one out and have it on the back burner. It's, it's whatever you want to do. I mean, it's your podcast. So
1: well, this is this is the thing. Is I'm going to Seattle. I'm flying out on Thursday. So in a couple days, I'm I'm going to be going uh, back for six weeks. <clears throat> and part of that too is we're doing a live podcast on the 16th, which itself will probably generate <laughs> maybe two or three episodes. Uh, just we're going to yeah. record that. So and I've, I've that that pushes me back. So, I mean, I don't know if there is any point in doing an episode now, only, like you say, it would be just sitting there for months... And I don't know how, yeah, how it current it would be by the time we actually, by the time it actually drops. Because <clears throat> see, part of the thing is because what I what I do is um, since I've got all my studio set up here, I do a lot of recordings up front before I go on these trips, and I have all the episodes queued up to drop every Friday. So it's a it's a bunch of work okay. up front, but that also means I've got a ton of content that I have to kind of record in a very short amount of time. So that's what I've been doing. I've been talking to guests and doing episodes and so it's 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 definitely cool to connect i mean how can we help promote each other that's the other part of it your podcast and and you know all that too
0: exactly i've been listening to your show a lot um just kind of trying to catch up before we actually talk and i really enjoy it i feel like it's a lot of what we do yeah um just of like deconstruction type thing and before actually like because i just started getting into twitter recently so i haven't really known a lot about the whole empty the pews evangelical yeah, uh type movements and hashtags and stuff and um i've been actually talking about it quite a bit and thinking about it the last few weeks and i would put myself in a place of evangelical for sure with kind of everything that's happened with me so uh, if anything it's been it's it's been fun learning uh just about all that and uh I don't know, man. It's yeah, been it's pretty a lot good.
1: To learn. Yeah. It's, well, what what's your story? I mean, did you 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 say are you kind of like ex-pastor sort of thing, or because there's three of you guys that do the podcast, isn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah. So the way I like to describe it is you have a uh, full-on churchgoer, which has been you have me who is a skeptical believer, skeptical theist, I guess. Right. And then my buddy Nate who does not know what the hell he believes, <laughs> but he's on the show, and he loves it, but he's a good guy um, yeah, so pretty much we we were all part of the same church, and it's the same kind of story you know uh pastor on a power trip kind of pushes everyone away um and and we started seeing signs of early signs of the issues in our church, and me and my wife started bringing those up to the pastor, and it was constantly just like getting shot down um excuses just to throw over top of things, and i could go into a. oh i know i could go into a two-hour conversation about every conver- every you know conversation we had with the pastor but i mean it was it was ugly and the way everything went down and that kind of pushed me away uh for for a long time and, um i like your categories that you list on your podcast you're like
1: yeah the spectrum
0: yeah the spectrum of of believers and i, I think that's like a cool correlation to have but, yeah, I would definitely put myself on, like, a like an angry theist, I guess, is what you would call it.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've been there, man, and sometimes I am there. Well, and something yeah. I learned from David Hayward, and that is I just did a podcast on this tonight, kind of a bonus episode for just to go up on Patreon. He said there's two avenues to this deconstruction. One of them is deconstructing your relationship with the church, and the other one is deconstructing your theological beliefs, your perhaps your beliefs in or about God. And I, I started thinking last night, I thought, you know, for, for a lot of people... One of those begins first, and then the second one happens, or it may not happen. But you know, you might you might deconstruct your relationship with the church, and then secondly, your relationship or views of God. Or you might start with your theology and your views of God, and then that means you can no longer stay at your church. You know, so it depends on how you go into yeah. it. But I said I I definitely started out on the first one. I I was burned out as a pastor and was sick of being screwed over by Christians, kind of like your story. And then it was only yeah. that and after i left the church in disgust that i started deconstructing my theological beliefs and so that's where i'm kind of at now so i don't know if that if if that was kind of your avenue into deconstruction as well it sounds more like it
0: yeah that's that's pretty much been uh, spot on so essentially what happened with us is uh, uh about a year before i left our youth pastor who was we were all like youth leaders so like i was i was a youth leader and in his little group, I was a worship leader in the church, uh, served in a lot of different areas of leadership and stuff like that. So, you know, we weren't just willy-nilly churchgoers, right? Like and we were— committed- you know, we were into, we we're like, this is
1: you were in life,
0: this is it's about, we are all in, 100% committed to this church and to Jesus.
1: Oh, and yeah.
0: we, we were the crazy ones, right? We were the ones out, like, evangelizing on the streets. We we were the, like, the evangelicals that, that we make fun of nowadays. Like, <laughs> we were the crazy people. <laughs> I know. I
1: was there, but, too, man. I was but there. But then after
0: that, we had uh, just different theological things that were coming up in the church. Like, I didn't really... I didn't fully agree with the tithe, and that's something that um, our pastor was very adamant about. Like, if you're going to be in leadership at all, you have to give your 10%, and if you miss a week, you have to give 12%, because in Leviticus it says, if you don't give it all to God, eh, you—I don't know.
1: Some crazy— Now, it was completely
0: out of context, because it was (laughs) even talking about animals, if you go back to the scripture that he was pulling up. But— won't get into that, and there was just a whole bunch of things with leadership and it was very controlling uh, and like I was mentioning to you the main the main thing that pushed me away personally was a whole nepotistic yeah. uh kind of atmosphere that you have in most small churches where you've got the pastor and his family, and they kind of run everything so if you bump heads with them, they kind of you're kind of out at that point, so what happened is we had you know, some theological questioning um, and some other stuff where we felt like people weren't—members of his family were kind of being given more grace than other people who were told they weren't allowed to be in leadership anymore when, you know, members of his family would would mess up, then, you know, they were just like extra grace, like, oh, it doesn't matter, like, it's all good. And that ended up being the big divide with me was a whole nepotism nepotism thing because i remember going into one meeting with him and then the next day going into the worship leader's office which was his daughter and being accused of attacking their family and at that point that was kind of like the downhill slope where it was like whoa what is going on here this is weird so but
1: unfortunately that story is i mean obviously the details are different but the basic core narrative is so so similar for so many people isn't it man I mean, I could tell you horror stories. I was a pastor for 12 years, man. I mean, just, I was on the other end of it, you know, being ripped to shreds and criticized and gossiped about, and, you know, it's just a terrible place to be, I mean, as far as where I was at. And so that yeah. that's what led to me walking away, as I say, because I was, I came, when we, when we moved over here to uh, Britain... Twelve and a half years ago, I was so done with church, man. I had just come off as a horrible experience. We had to close our church down and I got blamed for everything. It was terrible. And I was like, I'm done with Christians, really, mostly. But I was yeah. super I was super passionate about the church. I, I really wanted to reform the church from within. I thought, I'll be that lone voice of reason, you know, that prophetic voice. Oh, uh, was that ever yeah. a mistake? You know, so that didn't work. I was branded a troublemaker and blacklisted and all the rest of it. So, yeah, I've, I can identify with some of the nut- nuttiness that you've experienced, maybe not on the same level, but, God, uh, yeah, church. No, I mean, I,
0: for, uh, our youth pastor, which I, I hang out with him now because pretty much what happened is we all left the church, right?
1: You walked Because away. as soon as
0: the questions started coming up and uh, things started getting revealed about the church, people were like, this is gross, we don't want to be here. So what happened is uh, my youth pastor and his wife left. Uh, about a year, shortly after that, a few other people left that were connected to them. About a year after they left is when me and my wife left, and we kind of, like, opened the gates of hell when we left. Like, we just, we, like, whatever was going on in the church, and, uh, w- like, we brought it up, and we talked to them. We had, I don't, I don't know how many hour long conversations with the pastor and his family, but man, we, we tried to fight to stay there, but it's like every nasty thing we brought up, it was backlash. It was ridicule. And, you know, I still remember the last time we went in there and it hurt to sit down and be like, by the way, we, we're not going to be coming back. We're leaving. You know, this was a church that we had put our life into. You know, oh, I met my wife there. I moved up from, uh, south of where i lived i moved up here for that church you know so it was a big part of our life and it was a big thing to just kind of walk away from but at that point it was like there was so much that was that was messed up with it i just i couldn't see myself staying there
1: well this is something i learned again from david hayward he said that religion or christianity it's all pervasive it it affects us down to the cellular cellular level, if you will. It, it's it's completely our identity. Like you say, it's so important. I mean, just reflect for a minute about what you just told me. You fought and fought and fought to try and stay in this dysfunctional church. I mean, if you look back on that now, you got to be thinking, "What the hell? What, what we? Why yeah. would you well, fight it, to stay?" Yeah. <laughs> In a dysfunctional church, it's just like fighting to stay in a dysfunctional marriage or something, and you're being abused, really. And yet, you're, yep. you're trying to stay. You're fighting and doing everything to stay. I mean, that's, that is because, a bit crazy, isn't it? It's got to be.
0: Yeah, it is, because you hold it as, like, a sense of who you are. And for idea. me, like, I'm kind of with you on, like, my level of deconstruction, because it started there. Exactly. And that left a bad taste in my mouth to begin with. So starting from that spot, it was already pretty rough. Um, And then after leaving there, a lot of what I what I'd believed as a Christian, like I got saved when I was 18, and moved up here, started going to that church. And so the majority of my Christian life has been at that church. So every pretty much everything I learned about God, about how to obey Him, how to read the Bible, about jesus about everything else i learned from that church so when i left there i had to relearn everything and i'm still at a point where i don't really know what the hell i believe my thoughts on what it means to be a christian are different my thoughts on do i even believe are different because there are sometimes i i don't even i really don't even know anymore you know that i I feel like there's always something keeping me grounded somehow To believing in God, but then there's some times where I'm like, you know, like, is this even, is this even me anymore? You know?
1: Oh, absolutely. Well, think about it. I mean, look at that analogy again, going back to what David Hayward talked to me about. He said that someone deconstructing is like a person going under the knife, going into surgery without anesthetic and getting parts cut off without any, you know, painkillers. And it's very painful and it's incredibly traumatic. But these are parts of us that we really think we need. And yet they're getting cut off without any anesthetic. And uh, he said, you got to think about the fact that everything that we believed in, everything, uh, like you said, our whole identity, our whole worldview is now is being deconstructed. So uh, at what point do you form a new or how do you reconstruct with what? What tools do we have yeah. to reconstruct with? That's the problem. We the Bible's gone, and, and we say, "Okay, all the Christian faith that we had—that's all those parts that we use to to construct our identity. Those are all gone. What? Do, where do we turn now? This is the reconstruction part that's really hard to do. I think.
0: Yeah, and that's uh, that's kind of where we started our podcast, and it's is not very big. We have, I think, like three thousand all-time downloads on our podcast. It's not anything to write home about or anything, but for our group of friends and even people that were in that church who got to understand where we were coming from, it was worth it. And uh, just the the emails and the messages we've gotten from random people, you know, we've been able to make a little bit of an impact. And, you know, this has never really been about getting big or famous for us. You know, I, I like growing and I like the idea of growing as a podcast, but yeah, it's sure. never been... It's never been that. The main goal that we started this, and the reason we call it Pilgrims and Prodigals is because um, I feel like whenever, whenever these things happen, and you split from a church in a really rough way, or split from a, you know, a community of believers in a really rough way, you either have there, you have one or one or two choices. You're either going to cut out all the crap that you didn't need and grow stronger to God, or you have what happens in most people's cases, and they end up blaming God and running from God, and most of the times hating God, because they look at the way they were treated by Christians, which is still things I I still have to struggle with and deal with. Um, Because I I heard a, uh, a lyric in a song one time that said, we're not questioning God, just those he chose to carry on his way. Because sometimes, it, you know, pardon my language, but it seems like he picks the most fucked up people to run his His thing here. And it's like, what the hell, man?
1: What's that about? Like,
0: you couldn't you couldn't find any better people to do this than the people that are doing it. Like, <laughs> yeah. what is going on?
1: Really? That's the best you can come <laughs> up with. Well, that's the thing. You go down that rabbit hole, man. And that's, that's where I've been going the last probably year. Uh, like you say, having left the church and deconstructed that piece of it uh, I don't want to go back and I won't go back now'm I'm, I'm going into the, the, the theological, the biblical the, the the God piece because now I'm starting to think now wait a minute something some we listened to one of the podcasts on the way up to uh, Newcastle the other day we were driving up there and we re listened to one of our old my old ones. And the guy said, "I asked I asked him the question: Is it the fa- the fault of the Bible? You know that people are twisting the Bible. Christians are twisting the Bible to to justify horrible things." And he said something that really kind of blew me away. He said, "No, it's actually not that they're twisting the text. They're they're just reading it literally." And when you when you yeah. when you start to look at it that way, you say, "Actually, yeah." Uh, These people are reading it and and applying it literally. So therefore, the actual commands in the Bible that were given by God are the problem. That's the real problem. then that's a huge piece right there. Because then that says God is the one who commanded this stuff. Now, what does that say about the God who commanded genocide and all these other things? Now we're getting into a completely different shit show here, man. Uh, Yeah, because you're you're getting into it.
0: You're talking about the very nature and the character of God, and it's exactly. like, you know, if like if God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, then you have to find a way to correlate the God of the Old Testament with the God of the New Testament, yeah. and all the. At- cities that he did there, you know, you're talking every man, woman, and child butchered in the land of Canaan. You're talking about genocide on his own people and enslavement for four hundred years and exactly. the Babylonian deportation and all that shit. And it's like how do you correlate that to this God that we see now in Jesus and it's it is it's hard to make that.
1: It that is week. because you this is the problem and I've 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 seen this that People who hold to this inerrant, inspired text, this biblical text that's infallible and inerrant, the problem that they have then is they they end up painting themselves into a corner because exactly as you said, what, what they actually are saying is every word in the Bible is true. Every word in the Bible is inspired, blah, blah, blah. Well, well now, wait a minute. That means you have to defend what is indefensible because the yep. Bible says God commanded those very things that you just listed and a whole bunch more that are horrifying we would condemn them today and yet that's that's what that's what your view of the bible forces you into admitting and then like you say you've got to reconcile that God with this loving New Testament God that everyone wants to sing and praise and worship. But what about the other piece of this, man? We got a huge problem here. I mean it's 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 insurmountable as far as I can see. I I don't see any way around it other than to have major problems with that God. Or he just did he does doesn't exist and this is all justification by human writers to you know justify genocide or whatever they just say well god told me to do it <laughs> and that's what the text says you know so either way i, I you, mean you got a real problem it's definitely out, yeah yeah it's, it's a huge issue but, i mean and that's that's the issue that i'm wrestling with now because i'm having more and more problems with the god of the bible and i don't know what to do about that i really don't i'm not prepared to say God doesn't exist, and I'm, I'm not really prepared to say if he does exist, he's a monster on certain levels, but yet you got to do something with that God. You have to. I, I, have, yeah. I can't worship that God. I can't say, though, I love this God. I, I've, I'm manufacturing all this feelings for God. That That's just yep. I, it's a bridge too far now. I can't do it. I just can't do it.
0: Yeah, and that's where, you know, that's where I kind of find myself drawn away at times, too, because I'm looking at especially the way, like, as Christians, we're supposed to look at culture and all these cultural things going on, we're supposed to just condemn everybody and all these different lifestyles, and it's like, even if I don't choose to live that certain way, like, I'm supposed to condemn people for living a lifestyle, even if they're happy, and I, I and especially when you talk about correlating the Old Testament God with the New Testament, and the character of God and stuff like that. I don't know, like, I I just have a lot on my plate personally that I'm dealing with, and there's a lot of things that I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, okay, if God is really who these people are telling me that he is, then that's just not something that I want. But I, I hope, and I've got to believe that he's different than what man can describe him. Because I still, you know, I still look up at night, and I see the vastness of, like, everything, and I— I look around me. There's a really good song. I don't know if you've ever heard it. Um, What's it called? I just found it today. I've been listening to it.
1: It's so good you forgot what it was.
0: (laughs) It's called uh, Ill Mind of Hobson 7. And I don't know if you've ever listened to Hobson, but he's like a rapper.
1: No, I haven't.
0: Um, But it's called Ill Mind of Hobson 7. And he's the whole song he's rapping about how he's just kind of pissed off at God um, and doesn't know whether he believes anymore because he went from being like the super mainstream, you know, rapper, sex, drugs, whatever. um, And then he like turned to God for a little bit and then had so many questions that he has like turned back away. And that's kind of what like this song is about. And he's like, I want to believe, but if this is who you are, then I just don't give a you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, if this is who you are, then I don't want it. <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, I've got those, that, that's why I would say, and where I'm at right now, I was kind of, you know, a struggling theist. I, I would kind of put myself, like, if I really got down to the dirt of it, i still call myself a Christian. That's why I really like our podcast, because it's a good outlet for that, you know? We can just ask friends, get together, and hash things out, and I like it because there's a, uh got a different you know, you've got Ben, you know, he's at church, he's playing on the worship team, and, you know, he's been an elder before in our last church, and I'm sure he'll be preaching again before too long. And then you've got Nate, who's, you know, super into uh, into meditation and Eastern religions and stuff like that, and struck, uh, talk, looking up things about, like, inner peace and meditation and dieting and how that affects you spiritually. And then... You have got me, and I, I feel like I'm just like super analytical when it comes to it all. Um, I don't know. I just I think I tend to look at facts, and with facts, I feel like the the deeper I dig, the just the more questions. I,
1: yeah, the, you're d- going deeper down that rabbit hole. Yeah, and that's the question: but, where is it all going to lead? Well, the good news is we don't have to have an answer for that. Luckily, yeah, you know, um, yeah. that's something I, I used to stress about when I was a Christian. You gotta have all the answers, you gotta have everything nailed down. I can remember asking one of my professors in Bible college when I was really struggling with some doubts. I said, you know, when did you kind of get it all together? When did you when did all the pieces start to fit? And he said, Oh, you know, when I was a Christian a long time and things started everything just sort of came together and I thought to myself, Well, there's hope for me then. <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe maybe someday the doubts will go away and the anxiety will go away and uh, it never did. It just got worse and no, worse. That's,
0: that's what they tell you. I mean That's what they tell I you. Plenty of questions for my pastors and it was always like, Well, just pray about it, you'll get an answer someday. It's like, no, I, I need to know. Like I've I have answers and I feel like I'm not fully committed until I figure it out.
1: Problem is we can <laughs> never figure it out. I mean i I've been thinking a lot about this issue of prayer and Trying to, trying to discern what God's will was. And I can remember racking my brains and trying to... And nobody seemed to ever answer that question, did they? I don't know if, I, if you ever got a good answer to that. How do you know what the will of God actually is? And there's been volumes written on it. There's been sermons preached, you know, ad nauseum ad infinitum on discerning the will of God. And I never, ever found a good answer. He's not going to write on the wall in letters of fire. He's not going to drop you a, a, a letter through the post. I mean, how the hell are we supposed to know what God wants us to do? I've never got a good answer. Did you ever get a good answer for that question?
0: Not really. I mean, in our church, we had, uh, it was very detailed, laid out in front of us what God's will was. Like, we had a very,
1: <clears throat>
0: we were like super evangelical. So it was just like, you know, the go out preach the gospel and uh bring people to the lord and that's what your job is to do as a christian Just but ever simple. since leaving the church i mean i don't i don't know i don't know uh, what am i supposed to be doing who knows
1: what am i supposed <laughs> to be doing well i know i know what i'm supposed to be doing right now <laughs> having conversations uh, with people like you and all kinds of other people who are on this journey and that's that's why I like that spectrum. In fact, one thing I've got to do is I've got to go back and add, there's more categories that people have have said, hey, I don't fit in this yet. I got to add more categories. So in fact, the struggling theist, that's a good one to add, I think, because I've got an angry theist in there. I don't actually have a struggling theist. I think I'm probably more like a struggling theist too. So... There's a lot of different yeah, I'm paths.
0: Not, I'm not really mad. I just don't. I just don't know what I believe, or if I believe. That's yeah. kind of like where I'm at. It's like you, yeah, I really want to. I'm believe. not mad at God. I'm not. I'm not pissed off at God. I just. I don't know.
1: I think I'm. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm definitely in the angry theist category too. Though sometimes it just. I, I'm having a I real mean, if you hard talk time to with other it.
0: Christians. I'm angry. I'm, I'm most of the time pissed off at other Christians, especially when you get into the evangelical camp i can rant on that all day long
1: oh yeah so can i i mean I, i'm i'm upset about the uh, psychological sexual emotional all kinds of the damages the toxicity within the oh. system and i think you know i've got family members that are staunchly into the evangelical church and yet i look at them a little bit more objectively now and i think you're just you're you're riddled with anxiety these people, and that's a common feature of, of Christians, is they struggle with anxiety, they struggle with depression, they struggle with feelings of inadequacy and things like that. And it's just this constant thing. And yet they're telling themselves, no, I'm full of joy. I'm happy. You know, I'm, I'm I love life. I love God. I love Jesus. And I sing and I worship and blah, 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 blah. But it's not true. They're they living with cognitive yeah. dissonance. It's absolute bullshit. And I'm I look at my uh, some relatives that I have that are pastors, and I'm like, you're perpetuating this system. You are absolutely perpetuating this system, and you don't yeah. think it's toxic and damaging and all that, but it absolutely is. And so, yeah, I've got a problem with some of that. So I, I'm angry about that. The effects that it had on me
0: uh, and, yeah. and so many. I other mean, people. in our church, we were uh, we were uber spiritual. So it was like. You know, you speak things into existence, and if you don't want it in your life, you don't talk about it. So, you know, if um, you've got anxiety or you're struggling with depression, I mean, you might bring it up in a prayer meeting, but it's only to speak peace into your life. Like, you know, it's only to, instead of, like, hashing things out and dealing with what's inside of you, or, you know, some people are just clinically depressed, and it's like, go to a doctor, get some medication. You know, don't just get some hands laid on you, get prayed over, and then you're good to go. And then you're going to come back next week still struggling with it. But just speaking over yourself, like, I'm going to have peace. I'm going to have peace. Obviously you don't have it. So, you know, they make therapists, they make medication, they make other things other than just, you know, speaking peace into your life, you know, and just not talking about the real problems. But think yeah, about Yeah, we had tons of that. We I I could talk about that for a while
1: too. Oh yeah. Well think about I was just thinking about this today. Paul's model in I can't remember the letter now, but he where he talks about that there was a, a messenger of Satan that was sent to buffet him, some sort of thorn in the flesh, and he asked God three times to take it away. God said no, no, no. And he had to learn to live with that, and you know all the rest of it. I preach sermons on it. I'm sure you've heard many, many a sermon on that type of thing. But I, I yeah. was thinking about imagine that. Imagine if Paul today were sitting in a therapist's chair, you know, in some counselor's office, sort of like the the guy from The Sopranos, Tony Soprano. You know, he's sitting in the, the therapist's <laughs> office and says to him, "What's wrong with you? What's what's what do you think's wrong with you?" Well. You see, Doc, I've, I've got this demonic oppression in my life. Satan has been, you know, playing havoc with my my mind here. And I keep asking God to take it away. And he says, I mean, the therapist would think that that guy's nuts, blaming everything yeah. on a demon. And the God, God isn't going to take it away. And you've got to learn to love this abusive God who's allowing demonic oppression in your life. And what the hell? Yeah, I mean, and that's held up as a model of spirituality how humble paul was because he learned to glory in his weakness and you know to love god i mean that that whole thing is just an abusive sick relationship if you look at it objectively (laughs) what the hell man seriously i
0: mean and that across the board even when it goes to uh everything from like Struggling with with stuff like that to uh, submitting to like spiritual authority, and it's just like, oh well, this is like the biblical model. This is just what you have to do. You, I mean, it, I, I, oh but, man,
1: but that's what that's looking, I'm getting going. That's what he <laughs> and that's what Andrew Jasko said that they're not reading, they're not twisting the Bible. They're they're just reading it literally. If you read that passage yeah. of Paul literally. And just say, this is what, this is exactly what happened. He was, he was literally being tormented by demonic forces, whatever that means, whether it was a physical manifestation or a mental illness or whatever it was he had, what in the hell? I mean, that's a literal reading of the text. You don't have to spiritualize it. In fact, you shouldn't spiritualize it, I guess. I mean, it's crazy. It's insane. I mean, and that's, that's the kind of Christianity that we've got the evangelicalism, I mean, what what kind of people is it producing? It's producing people filled okay. with anxiety and depression and PTSD and fear of losing their salvation and not measuring up to God and their pastor and everybody else around them. What a system. And they're so mentally unhealthy. It's just, uh, I don't want to be any, anywhere near that thing.
0: No, no, me neither. And I've got friends that I still sometimes can't be around because... I feel like I can't really be honest around those people. You know, I can't really talk about how I'm feeling, what's going on inside of me. Uh, I I don't know, like just fear of like, you know, that being appropriate in their mindset or let's not talk about, you know, those painful things. Let's uh, talk about the joy of the Lord and the peace of God. And, you know, it's like...
1: it's, Pain just is real, it's just
0: platitudes.
1: It's just platitudes. Yeah, that's the thing. They're all just a bunch of platitudes, man. I mean, that's why I see it as now. It, all these Christianese phrases, like you said, "the peace of God, the peace that passes all understanding, and the joy of the Lord is my strength," and on and on and on. What does that even mean? I seriously, right? I, I right. please someone I'm tell me to get <laughs> what does it mean and. What does it really look like? And I can remember because I studied preaching. That was my big thing, man. I was going to, I was a preacher. I studied homiletics. I was really going to set the world on fire and I studied all this stuff. And I mean, to try and apply these texts, that's the big challenge for any preacher is not just to interpret it correctly, but of course, to then apply it for his or her listeners and how do you apply stuff like that? What do you you've got to spiritualize it, you got to make it sound like a bunch of platitudes that you know people can actually get a hold of. Uh, that's the hardest thing for a preacher, I think. And now I look back on it I think no, there's no way. I couldn't I couldn't do it. There's no way I could do it now. No way.
0: No. Well, yeah, I, even if I could, I wouldn't want to. Exactly.
1: And they, they wouldn't have me, nah. they wouldn't have you back in there. <laughs> and especially now that you're starting to speak out about your deconstruction (laughs) you're a pariah probably
0: oh yeah yeah they would they would not want me back there
1: see i'm lucky because the fact that we live over here i'm not really around that christian bubble because well i was a pastor in portland in oregon for about 13 years and then from there we moved over here 12 and a half years ago so even when i go back to seattle I haven't lived there in so long. I I don't run into people that you know, churchy people that I knew. It's very, very rare. So I'm pretty lucky in that sense. I don't live in the same town. I don't live in the same place. I don't even live in the same country. And it's uh, it's a different scenario over here in Britain. It's just evangelicalism not is nothing like it is in the states. I mean, we don't have churches on every street corner and. We're not involved in the political uh, sphere and all that, like American Christians are, and so it's a totally. Are we different
0: actually, thing. Uh, uh, if you wanted to check out our podcast, the last one I did with uh, Buddy, my name Joseph. He's super political uh, in a good way. He's he's all about separation of uh, like church and state. But uh, he, we did a really good podcast talking about how we shouldn't have morality inside of politics because Christian morality or Christian obligation or whatever is not something that should be forced with the gun, right? Like I can believe what I want to believe and someone can believe differently, but those are what's happened to me personally on a moral scale should not be something that's implemented across the board as a law. Is kind of like what the, was the the bulk of our conversation. So
1: yeah, that sounds like a really interesting episode. Well, now, I don't know about you, but uh, I've been recording this whole thing, and uh, be- because I was thinking we could use this as maybe something as a bonus on Patreon or something, but now I'm thinking, you know what, this is a pretty damn good <laughs> podcast episode in its own right. I mean, I don't know no, what I else we could talk recording. about. I
0: wasn't, sure what, I wasn't sure what you were doing with it, so I haven't, I've had my audacity open, but I haven't been recording.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you should have been, man. You should have been recording. Yeah. Well, I think the thing to do is to put this out as a podcast somewhere, somehow, sometime, probably in November. Um, I don't know about you know what you want to do with it, but um, that would be cool. I would um, love you to can, do that.
0: If you can uh, make an MP3 file, uh, put in a Dropbox, Dropbox and like, link me in it. I don't know if you use Dropbox oh, yeah. or anything. Yeah, but I can do that. <clears throat> I don't yeah, know if I you can <throat> link it anywhere, but if not, it's no big deal.
1: Yeah, I mean, what I can do is, I'll it. yeah, I'll I'll put I'll cut this down a little bit, get rid of some of the extra crap in there, and then I'll just shove it onto Dropbox. And if you can send me your email address, then I will, uh, you know, hook mm-hmm. you up. And I don't know what you want to do with it, but I mean, I I, I won't be able to release it, it, it as a podcast, like I say, until probably November. But if you want to mess around with it and do something with it, that would be super cool. Yeah. Um...
0: Would it be okay for me to release it as like a separate podcast on our sure. thing or do you, would you want me to wait to November to release that as well?
1: Well, I'll tell you what. I mean if you if you can do something with it, if you want to edit it and mess around with it, I mean there's a lot of talking at the beginning that you could probably cut out. And this – I don't know about the stuff at the end but um, there's a yeah, good probably, 30, 40 minutes worth of good you know content in here I think that you could certainly do something with it. I mean what I could do with it now or qu- sooner than November is I could I could put it up on Patreon our conversation and then maybe later release it as a podcast so it it could get released earlier for supporters
0: Yeah I'm okay with whatever mm-hmm. you want to do uh just link me into the uh Dropbox and I'll. Yeah we'll work uh, on it. I'll mess around with it too do cool. something with it
1: Yeah that would be super but. cool You never know. We might get more mileage out of this thing than (laughs) just one podcast on one show. That would be cool.
0: No, I can talk for days, and I feel like we've got (laughs) a lot in common. So, I mean, pick a topic. I mean, we can – church culture. I mean, like I said before, I don't know how much you were involved in kind of like small church nepotism, but that was a big thing for me. Just just, uh, different theological differences, kind of like – the uh uh culture of obedience inside of a church and following your pastor and oh, going, not going against whatever he says and just take it as truth. I mean I could I could go on any topic. I mean I I'm struggling with believing in an, in an eternal hell right now. And that's something that I've been thinking about because it's hard for me to justify an infinite amount of torture for a finite amount of sin. So that's something that I personally have been struggling with a lot is the idea of hell.
1: Yeah, I think so. too. that's a big one, too. And I remember I've said it with a couple of people, you know, if we're wrong, we're in serious trouble. I mean, we're in total trouble. If if we're wrong about hell and we're going to go to hell because of what we're doing, the the stakes can't be any higher. They cannot be any higher. But yet... If we're right, and like you say, it's it's the whole thing is it's a construct of either biblical text twisted out of context or not meaning what they meant or or whatever, I don't know, then we we then the church has got a lot of explaining to do. Because <laughs> they're, they're yeah, using cause it as the ultimate as-car. It's
0: weird that the Christian church is – and I could be wrong about this, but I feel like the Christian church is the only – it's the only religion that – Put such an emphasis on uh, the negative, eternal destination. Like, with, with Judaism, you know, that it talks about Sheol and dying forever, but it doesn't really talk about destruction. Um, and other Eastern religions are all about, like, you die and you come back, and it, it, tons of religious talk about, you know, when you die, you just cease to exist but christianity is the only from my understanding it's the only religion i didn't go to pastor school or anything but from my understanding it's the only religion that puts such a negative emphasis on like if you're not following god when you die when you die you're just damned for eternity and you're going to burn and you're going to be tortured and the skin's going to be ripped off your flesh and it's going to go on forever so you better do good things
1: well,
0: it's yeah. kind of what it's like yeah. sometimes.
1: <laughs> you better love him. There's a there's a classic clip on YouTube. I think his name's Dave Allen. He was an Irish comedian, and he talks about. I don't know if you've ever seen this clip, but it's called Dave Dave Allen on Religion, and he does uh, does a bit on when he was about four or five. He was sent off to Catholic boarding school, <laughs> and it's pretty funny. Oh, but okay. but it's very poignant because these these te- these nuns come and they say. Do you love God? And he says, I don't even know who God is. Oh, we have an atheist here, sister. You know, and he goes into this whole thing. And if you do not love him, he will send you to an eternity of fire and burning and hell and screaming and torture. So do you love him? Oh, yes, yes. I absolutely love him. You know,
0: if you don't love God, he will hate you just so you know. And send you to
1: eternity (laughs) in hell. So, yeah, that's
0: Uh, that's a motivation right (laughs) that's some
1: motivation and that's the problem and dave allen points it out we're supposed to love this god that's sending millions of people to hell for the crime of simply not believing the correct things apparently according to the evangelicals if you don't believe the exact right set of propositional truths you're not a christian and therefore you're going to hell for eternity
0: And that's another one of those things that I find hard to uh, relate between Old Testament and New Testament because New Testament says there is no fear in love, and God is all love. But Old Testament says, obey me or I'll smite you with diseases and poverty and destruction, and your land will be taken and you'll become slaves for 400 years. So, like, what do you do with that? What do you do with that? On On one hand, you've got a God who's throwing down lightning from a mountain and then on the other hand you have a god that's like all i want to do is love you how do you what do you do 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 with that
1: that it seems irreconcilable doesn't it because i remember going through this when i used to teach old testament and get going through the the covenant like you said at mount sinai and you look at the conditions of the covenant and i've always made a big point of this that like you said it's a conditional covenant If you obey me, then I will bless you. If you disobey, I will curse you. And the curses are actually three or four times as long as the blessings. You know, there's a thousand curses for every 10 blessings and they're horrific curses. And yet they still disobeyed and they still got cursed. And it happened over and over. And the, the whole narrative of the Old Testament is basically God punishing his people endlessly and they keep sinning. So it's just like a a child who keeps getting spanked, but who doesn't just doesn't affect his or her behavior. They just keep disobeying. So it, it's not working. It clearly isn't working. But yet God's still throwing down lightning bolts, like you say. Wouldn't you think? Wait a minute. I got to come up with a better system. This is not a good idea.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: But, and that's the problem. Is see, yeah. I what I used to say was. You see, it's a case study. It doesn't work. And so, therefore, that's why God had to bring Jesus in the New Testament. Aha! You see, this is where it all starts to come together, where this is the God of grace now. But you still have a problem. As you say, you cannot reconcile that God of the Old Testament with this loving Jesus of the New Testament. Because he still threw down lightning bolts, he still destroyed cities, he still commanded genocide, and on and on and on and on. That's the same God, according to the text. So we got a real problem here. It's irreconcilable, it's indefensible. And I, I can't get yep. my head around it. How, what, what 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 you're supposed to do with it, except, you know, reject that God, I guess. I don't know.
0: Either, I mean, really what it comes down to is like reject that God or come to the conclusion that you'll never understand. And that's kind of my buddy, Ben, um, one of my co-hosts. he, and that's kind of the conclusion he came to a few months ago. And he was, cause he's been struggling with all the questions that I have, but he kind of came to the conclusion. I, it's just, I'm never going to know all the answers. So I'm just kind of okay, not knowing them, but I just, I can't, I don't know if that's good enough for me.
1: I can't do that personally. That's to me, that's just, yeah. bl- that's blind faith. And that's a, that's a cop-out to me. That's a cop-out answer, you know, to say, well, it's the mysteriousness of God. It's the inscrutability of God. We don't know. And we'll never know. And this side of heaven, I mean, how many times have you heard that phrase in church? We won't know why these things happen this side of heaven. But one day when we get to heaven, all will be explained. It will all make perfect sense and we'll be at perfect peace then. And I'm like, that's, that's bullshit. I'm sorry. I want some good answers, yeah. and I'm not getting them. And I'm I'm walking out. I'm not doing it anymore. Sorry, it's not good enough. The mysteriousness. Yeah, something just
0: never know. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I'm okay if there's like one or two things, but it's like pretty big. everything about everything about Christianity and religion is like we just don't know, you know. So it's like, are are we just never going to know anything, and we just always blind faith it and hope we're making the right decision at the end? Because when you look at it. You know, we're saying one thing. The Jews are saying another. The Muslims are saying another. Uh, the tribes in South America are saying another. The Eastern religions are saying another. Everyone's saying something different about who God is
1: and what we're so supposed if it's
0: to all do. and uh, we have the truth. Then it's right because someone's wrong. Everyone's right.
1: Exactly right. Unless don't know because you can compare for example jewish fundamentalism islamic fundamentalism and christian fundamentalism and the the three are strikingly similar in terms of how they run their system they have a, a book that they believe is a holy book it's from god it's perfect it's inspired and therefore they are correct in how they interpret it and what it all means and they're going to tell you what it means and that you can't question it. And they are very controlling and very patriarchal and very abusive and on and on and on. The, so the three religions are, are very similar in terms of how they run the show. And like you said, what are you supposed to do? Who's right? The Muslims, the Jews, the Christians, the, the, the Sikhs, the Hindus, the atheists. What? We're throwing our hat in someone's ring. And we better be damn sure that it's the right ring that we've thrown our hat into. Otherwise, we're going to go to hell for eternity if we get it wrong. The stakes are pretty high.
0: Yeah. Well, even when you look at uh, one of the big emphasis of uh, apologetics and arguing the faith is like, first, you make the argument that the universe needs a God, which, you know, you can, I don't know, depending on how that conversation goes, it's pretty easy to get a yes or a no out of that. So it's either... There is a God or there's not. But then you break it down to which God is it. And then the easiest conclusion to come to is it's um, one of the – it's the God that the main three religions on earth come down to, which is Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. They all come down to the God of the Bible, Yahweh. So – but even when you break it down like that, all three books – what is it, the Quran, the Torah, and the Bible – the or not the American Bible, but the Christian Bible – they all say completely different things. Yeah contradict so, each other even when you break that it's it's different you know so
1: it's true I don't know what do you do and I think that's part of the deconstruction process isn't it is not it? Stepping back and looking at the whole thing, hopefully with a little bit more objectivity and saying, "Well, we can ask these kind of questions, and maybe there's maybe we're not going to get some, any good answers, but I have a harder and harder time believing the God and the 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 brand of Christianity of evangelicalism, as you say, because it's so exclusive, they are so certain that they have the corner on the truth, and they will tell you that they are right and they've got a holy inspired book that tells them they're right and Blah, blah, blah. Uh, I'm sorry, but I'm very suspicious of the whole thing. It smells more and more like a cult, a controlling cult to me. That the, When I analyze it uh, from a behavioral point of view, like you were talking about, the nepotism and the control and the the, the spiritual abuse and the sexual abuse and all the stuff that goes on. Look at the damage they're doing to people. It's undeniable. Exactly. It's absolutely undeniable. That's why offices or counselors' offices are full of people that need counseling from the bullshit that they experienced while they were in the religion.
0: That's exactly, And that's what pushes me away the most is because in my experience of being involved in church, I have seen more people negatively affected by church than positively reinforced. Exactly. I've seen people come in and they have, you know, the spur of energy— and they have this holy moment, and then next thing you know, they get burnt out, they get used up, they serve their purpose, and the pastor no longer needs them anymore, so they don't suck up to them. I mean, you see it. Time and time again, oh, absolutely, people get hurt. People get hurt all the time. I, like I said, I've seen more people in my personal friend group and people that I know that have been hurt by church than have been helped.
1: And that's the problem. See, when and what I'm doing is I'm making the connection between because for a long time, for my whole life, I always said there's a line, is a famous line from a Keith Green song, and it says. Uh, one thing i've learned if you've been burned the lord's not the one to blame that's what keith green said and i used to quote that line i would say now if you've been hurt in the church it's not god's fault it's the fault of imperfect christians you know they're they're sinful and we're all struggling blah 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 but now i'm thinking wait a minute I'm going to connect that God with the behavior of these Christians. And theres he's to blame for some of it. He absolutely is. They're taking it literally. So the shunning and the, the, the abuse and all the stuff that goes on, the misogyny, that's in the Bible. <laughs> that's commanded oh. in the Bible. So you do have a problem. It, the Lord is to blame for some of this, maybe a, a good portion of it. And what do you do with that
0: piece? Well, especially if it's, the men of God that are doing most of the hurting. Exactly. That has to at least come down to some form of responsibility on God. It's got to. I mean, it—it it can't. you can't blame everything on human error when it is the men of God, the people who say they follow him the most or the best or whatever, who are hurting people the most. Well,
1: look at the ways that theologians and biblical scholars have to do backflips to reinterpret a text like, for example, Paul. You know, women should be in submission. They should not. They're not allowed to speak in the church. If if they want to learn anything, they have to go talk to their husbands at home after the service. Now, I've heard the most creative explanations to get out of the real pretty simple meaning. Cultural. Yeah, it was just a <laughs> cultural thing. It doesn't mean that today. Blah, blah, blah. There's a special Greek word that only used here. And if that's not what it means and women can talk in church. I'm like, wait a minute. That's actually what it says. That's what it says. That women yeah, shouldn't but then there's a couple standards
0: on that, too, because yeah. Paul will write in his epistles, in one of his epistles about uh, uh, misogyny or whatever, and then he'll write uh, in another one where he was downing homosexuality, but that's still okay to condemn because that's something that God still holds to, even though it's written in the same, to the same. I, I don't think it was the same group of people, but under the same context as one of his epistles. Oh,
1: absolutely. It was written to uh, a church.
0: So it's like, it's like some things were contextual and some things were cultural, but other things are truths. You, got, you can't, and that's a, the big dilemma that people have with theology. It's like you can't pick and choose what you want to believe. Either God is this God-awful person that is in the Bible, or if you want to be hopeful, the Bible isn't literal and it's just a book written by man.
1: And that's the problem. And if you, the, the second you make that move, it loses all of its specialness. It's no longer inspired yep. and it's no longer inerrant and, and infallible and, authoritative, and it has no more authority. So the whole thing yeah. falls apart. And that's why Christians are so rabid to defend the doctrine of inerrancy and inspiration because the whole house of cards falls down because it's, it's no longer a special book. But they're actually worshipping yep. the Bible. That's the thing is this bibliolatry where they're actually worshipping the text is somehow a magical book. That's going to change your life simply by you reading it every day. That's that's magical thinking. And I, I was told many, many times you just read your Bible every day and you'll that'll somehow change you to be a more godly person. And somehow it's magical thinking. So the Bible is super special. And that means we can do all kinds of horrible things in its name because that's what it says to do. To suppress women yeah. and to be anti-gay and all the rest of it—absolutely yeah. nuts, man! Absolutely nuts. Well, listen, man, I and should let you go. I was
0: gonna... that, on what? our podcast, that's something that I mean. I personally, I like to bring up a lot because I don't see how it's how it's okay in the church to judge that so harshly. But you can have, you know, a pastor who cheats on his wife or something like that, and it's just pushed over. Or, you know, pastor steals money from a church and is embezzling for years, but, you know, he'll get in trouble. But still, he can be repented. But, um, you know, someone living a gay lifestyle, like, they're just not allowed to do that because they're obviously heathens and abominations. Like, really?
1: Well, look at Mark Driscoll. (laughs) There's a classic case study. Mark Driscoll, he got in all kinds of trouble when he was at Mars Hill in Seattle, then five minutes later yep. he's the pastor of another mega church in Arizona and nobody's asking any questions. In fact, he was on the cover, I think it was of Charisma magazine just the other month and it was like really? Yep. You're gonna put Mark Driscoll on the cover of a major Christian magazine and as a shining example of a, a godly pastor and a husband and all the rest of it, knowing what he's done. There's, he never faced the, any consequences uh, for called, any of that, except getting sacked from his job, and and being in disgrace for a while. But now he's an he's a he's a celebrity pastor all over again. I mean, how the hell did that happen? It's unbelievable. And yet, like you say, if you're gay, you're going to hell. <laughs> but you know, they're yeah. gonna have Mark Driscoll. Driscoll and
0: if you're Mark Driscoll, if you're Mark Driscoll, you can do whatever the hell you want. Absolutely,
1: because okay. you're just <laughs> that cool and you're just that hip. And I mean, I I saw another thing. Um, the Elevation Church. Stephen Furtick is the guy's name. This pastor in North Carolina, I mean this this is a cult. I mean, and it's but it's but he's he's a he's a celebrity. He's a superstar. I mean, it's just unbelievable the stuff that he's gotten away with. He lives in a a one point seven million dollar mansion on nineteen acres, and on and on. It's just like really, that's just unbelievable. But it's it's
0: happening. Well, uh, I don't know if you heard about it but uh, there's this evangelist that travels around. His name is, like, Clayton Jennings or something like that. A couple years ago, or like a year ago or something like that, um, he got in a lot of uh, in a lot of heat and stopped evangelizing for a while because he was, like, going around to these different towns, and he was, like, cheating on his wife and sleeping with all these different girls. And a year later, he's out evangelizing again, he's out doing his it. thing again.
1: Yep, it's just you know? it's very common.
0: But if it... If the scenario would have been a little bit different, he wouldn't have been able to do that ever again.
1: Yeah, he should have been. He should have been booted in disgrace. But I mean, look at Jim Baker. There's another example. He was in all kinds of trouble after the PTL scandal. He went to jail for it. Even he repented. He wrote a book called "I'm Sorry," but now he's got this mega ministry selling uh, end end time survival gear. Pizza in a bucket <laughs> to these gullible people, <laughs> and he's all over the. is all over the media. I mean, come on, how stupid yeah. can you be, people? I mean, seriously.
0: <laughs> well, oh, I mean, when you think about it, that's nepotism on a large scale. You know, you've got yeah. these uh, the small group of like super pastors and evangelists on the top, and it doesn't matter what they do; they'll always be forgiven because they are who they are and with that they are the face of christianity you know
1: and they're bringing in a lot of money for their church but they're like celebrities aren't they they're like they're like celebrities who get away with all kinds of horrible things because they're making so much money for so many people that they're willing to